I mean, it's terribly sad to say this about myself, but it was almost like, yeah, okay, if you want to bring someone in to do some housework and chores, y'all be over here. Like, literally, it could not have been less personally enthusiastic about it. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 106. Take two. Because <laughs> Finn interrupted me, <laughs> as usual. We're Finn and Emma. Today we have an interview with Rachel. She is the wife and partner of Norm from episode 80. And it's a pretty kick-ass interview. Yeah, she's super fun. She's got lots of insight. Uh, sort of their coming-of-age story and non-monogamy has had what they dubbed the year of grand mistakes. And if you listen to Norm's episode, you got a little bit of insight. And now we get to hear Rachel's side of the story. And sorry, Norm. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think sorry, Norm. Rachel's awesome. She gives a lot of really good advice, actually, for anyone exploring non-monogamy. And, and just relationships in general. Exactly. Have a listen. And we hope you enjoyed as much as we enjoyed talking to her. So thank you to her for sharing and for, yeah, everything. Okay. few announcements. First up is Patreon. We have our next Q&A call. It's a video Q&A we do every month. It'll be January 22nd. That's Wednesday, next Wednesday. And it'll be 9 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. If you're curious about this but don't know what we're talking about, go onto our website and click on the little button that says Patreon or in your little podcast app. There's also a should be a link to our Patreon. You can read about the different tiers we have there and how to join our video Q&A. We would love to have any of you and all of you that want to join. And if you do join, you get all of the recordings from previous Q&As as well. So there's five or six of those you can go listen to. And yeah, we'll see you there. Thanks for your support. Next up is SafeMatch. And we want to be very clear at the beginning here. This is not an advertisement for this app. It is an announcement because we like to support creative ideas. Yeah, the the founder of this app and uh, small startup reached out to us a little while back and has been going back and forth with us via email about the product he's creating, which is essentially an app to help people try to share their STI uh, testing results easier and to make the conversation uh, more readily available for people. One of the things that we told him we would do is share his survey with everybody. So you guys are, so we can get some feedback for him. Again, we haven't, we actually haven't used the app ourselves and we're not necessarily endorsing it, but we want to try to help support this uh, sort of this startup and what he's doing is pretty cool. So there are some links in the show notes for this episode 106, either on our website at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or in the show note um, in your like podcast player. So check out the survey. It's about five minutes long. It's it's a little bit about uh, STIs and what you know about them. And then it's also about sort of your views on using this type of a service. Um, there's also a link in there for a short video that talks about 
how the app works and we'll put links to the website as well. So you can check it all out. And again, thank you for helping us help to support him. We appreciate it. And we appreciate anybody who's trying to make this, this whole sex positive space a little bit safer. So thank you to him. And thank you to you guys again for helping support that. Yeah. Go check it out. And last quick announcement, former guest from episode 67 recently very, very recently, actually, yeah, started at the, at the beginning of the year, right, started a blog, and it is called Swinging Through the Ages. So if that's your thing, if you want to go read um, some fun stories, go check out their blog links will be in the show notes as well. Yep, it's pretty new right now, but they promised us there's more to come. So pressure on them to 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 follow <laughs> through with that. And uh, thank you to them for uh, supporting the show coming on. That was again, episode 67 with Alex and Donna. So Check that out, check them out, and check out Emma. <laughs> you just don't know what to say right yeah, now. Yeah, I was just kind of started that <laughs> sentence and was taking it wherever it took me. <laughs> so just a quick reminder, you can find a lot of information on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com or nnmpodcast.com. There you have links to all the show notes for every single episode, as well as a resources page. And you can contact us too. Leave us a voicemail or reach out to us via email all on our website. And we will see you on the other side of the interview. <laughs> We've had quite the uh, warm up here. So we're excited to have you, uh, Rachel. And thank you for taking some time out of your Friday morning to chat with us. I guess it's afternoon where you are. So thank you again. And uh, we're excited to talk. All righty. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, real quick. So we, we've gotten a little bit of a sneak peek into your story from Norm's perspective, but we figured it was fair if you came and leveled the playing field. So do you want to introduce uh, everyone to you uh, in your own words, maybe? Okay. Uh, uh, my name is Rachel. I am the wife of Norman, who was interviewed on this podcast a little while ago. And we've been in poly since 2013, I guess. Uh, you know, you get to be my stage of life and time goes by weirdly quickly. So I can <laughs> never like, I'm turning, am I 75 or 76 dear? I can't, <laughs> you know, okay. It <laughs> <laughs> um, happens to all of us. <laughs> uh, it definitely does. It really does. And how long remind the listeners, like how long have you two been together before, like all together? And then, so you spent about six years with Polly. Oh, we got married in 1992 after meeting and beginning to date in fall of 1989. Okay. So it's like, including the time that we were dating in that monogamy exclusive kind of way, like 29, 30 years, like a long time. Yeah. Like wow. Every cell in my body has been re-virginized multiple times. <laughs> awesome. Well, and, and, I mean, for, for anybody, again, who doesn't know the complete story, how did, like, how did you come to be interested in non-monogamy? And I guess, did you bring it up to Norm originally? Or how did, how did that whole thing happen? Well, I think we kind of brought it up to each other, but very early in our relationship, way back in like the Stone Age, Norm and I were Orthodox Jews. Um, and we used to walk from our apartment in Queens over to his parents' apartment in a different part of Queens. Um, and that was 
I don't know, it was like an hour walk. We'd have to walk because it was the Sabbath. And during those walks, we would just talk about this and that the way people do. And I remember we talked often about non-monogamy, although that's not what we called it then. I don't even remember. But there's never been a time in my mind where I was possessive or sexually jealous. Now, in reality, I do get jealous about other things. Like, I'm not trying to be the Mother Teresa of Polly here. But I don't get jealous about sexual things. Or at least I haven't so far. And, you know, okay, fine. Uh, yeah, I guess right? it could always change, and, right? <laughs> but in those days, I was suffering more seriously from very low-grade depression. And it was undiagnosed, and I didn't know I had it. And one of the symptoms of low-grade depression for many people is very low libido. And I had low libido for a long, 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 long time. And I really just thought that that was just normal. Like I didn't think of it as like, oh, I have low libido. Maybe I should see the doctor. So eventually, I want to say in like 2005 or 2006, so time marches on and we just have a normal Jewish people marriage. And right around 2006, I started to get sicker. I got diverticulitis. I got like a sinus infection. Like it was really bad. So I, it was bad enough that I had to go to the doctor and the doctor di diagnoses the diverticulitis, uh, which for those of you out there in listener land who don't know what it is, diverticula are like a stretch mark on your colon and diverticulitis is an inflammation of a stretch mark in your colon, AKA an infection in your guts. So it's very uncomfortable and you don't ever want to get it. And the doctor says to me in this very casual way, you know, we really normally see this with people who are like 65 and up. And I was like, fool, I'm 35. I can't have the gut of a 65-year-old. I was pissed. I went home. I was really mad. I was like, no, I am too young to be ancient. So I went online and the internet was terrible back then. And, you know, which is good for me because I didn't get too much information I got as far as discovering that all you really need to do to avoid ever having diverticulitis again is to get your recommended daily allowance of fiber and take a little walk every day to make sure your system is working. Yeah, sounds and easy I enough, right? Well, it's not that complicated. Uh, and I'm like a very detail-oriented, you know, autistic nerd. And so I literally went up and down all the aisles of all the things in the grocery and read the little labels to see what had fiber. Pro tip. Lettuce has no fiber. Don't ever bother eating it. It doesn't even exist. It's like, a, it's like an optical illusion. It's not a food that's there. Don't ever eat it. Eat kale. Eat spinach. Yeah. But like right regular, now, like yeah, tasty, iceberg lettuce, there's no, no. point. <laughs> and I began to, and I was really fat. Like I was really, really, I was like a sick, miserable, middle-aged housewife. But I began to walk and I began to eat and I began to feel better, like weirdly quickly. And I got some therapy and I did all that stuff that you're supposed to do. And somewhere along in there, my libido turned back on again. And it turned on in the waiting room. I think Norm told the story. We were in the hospital because Jack had to get oral surgery and it was a whole giant thing. And so I was, I was online. I was on Tumblr back when we all used Tumblr. And some friend on Tumblr was amusing me and sending me naughty notes and all of a sudden, it was like the audible click of the pilot light coming on in the back of your oven, kind of. And I was like, what is this amazing <laughs> feeling all over my body? Like I became aroused. 
And it's no exaggeration to say that becoming spontaneously aroused was an extremely, extremely rare occurrence for me in those days. But since that day, it is not rare. And so after that experience, my mind went back to all those conversations that Norm and I had had about having a threesome or bringing in another person or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was always like, yeah, whatever you want to do, man. Good luck to you. Right? I didn't care. You want to bring it? <laughs> okay, fine. You have fun with that. Right. Could but it wasn't something been you were less going interested. To I wasn't opposed to it, but it was... I mean, it's terribly sad to say this about myself, but it was almost like, yeah, okay, if you want to bring someone in to do some housework and chores, y'all be over here. Like, literally, it could not have been less personally enthusiastic about it. Well, right, and it might have almost been, like, I don't want to say a relief, but, like, if you weren't interested in doing those things back then, like, yeah, you might as well bring somebody else in to do the thing that I'm not doing. Well, and, I mean, it's not that we weren't having sex, because... I, Ann Landers said a million years ago in one of her columns, this is so lame. I'm literally <laughs> revealing how lame I am. Ann Landers said that unless you have a really good reason for saying no to sex with your husband, you should probably just go ahead and say yes. You'll feel better and he will too. And I was like, all right, well, I trust Ann Landers. I'm going to go ahead with that. And indeed, I've, I've never withheld sex for any reason other than like exhaustion, um, or being real mad, <laughs> which never happens. Yeah, of course, never. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so it's not that me and Norm weren't having sex, but I can't lie. Like, I wasn't super enthusiastic about it, which, again, is sad. So, yeah, I mean, I was just fine. I was like, you want to have sex with other people? Boom, boom, go for it, baby. But we never really did anything about it. I certainly didn't do anything about it. Um, until that time came when I was like, oh, all of a sudden... I understand what that conversation was about. Like, wow, this is what it is to really be interested in having sex with practically anybody. Wow. I was stunned at this whole level of sensation that I had been missing. And it was almost like being able to see a new color all of a sudden. Like it was that intense. Yeah. Wow. wow. So I went to where Norm was relaxing on the couch in our living room, reading a book or doing a video game or something and basically just busted in. I'm like, Hey, remember how we always used to talk about this? Well, I think we should do it. And since it had been, you know, like 15 years or 20 years since the topic had last come up, it was understandable that he was a little bit startled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why he likes to say that it was my idea. But in fact, it was his idea. It's just that his idea was on the shelf in the back of the garage for 20 years right. until I took it back out again. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a good point because, you know, this is something that we get emails from people and they're like, well, I brought it up to my partner and they didn't want to do it. And they're like, so it's never going to happen. And I think, you know, maybe this is an extreme case of, you know, waiting 15 years for your partner to come around to the idea but I think, you know, it's not uncommon for it to be six months, a year, even two years. You know, we've heard people that bring it up once a year for 10 years and then finally they're like, yeah, OK, I think we're there. Right. And so I think to say it's never going to happen, like never say never. Right. Never say never is definitely something I would agree to, um, particularly because, you know, if you have an otherwise pretty successful relationship that goes a long time everybody's libido levels go up and down, mm -hmm. right? And that's, I mean, that's just a feature, right? Yeah. 
as women approach that time of life, their balance of testosterone will rise and they may get hornier than ever. Hello. Thank you. And as men approach that time of life, their testosterone level is falling. They may be a lot less interested in it for whatever reason, either physically or psychologically. And I've seen this happen with a lot of people, perhaps even some people that I know pretty well. So yeah, you know, I mean, relationships change, relationships transition. That's one of the things I love about poly actually is that Polly offers a way to preserve a relationship that's extremely important to you and has been like a big part of your life for a long time, but maybe it's fundamentally changed in its nature. Maybe it's no longer romantic. Maybe it's no longer sexual, right? Right. Or maybe at that moment and maybe it could change in the future. Exactly. But that means that if you can be amicable about it, amicable, pardon me, Mm-hmm. and not disrespectful or violent towards the other person, it's a way that the relationship can be preserved. Right. And you can continue to have this person in your life and continue to love them and continue to have them be part of your, you know, like, for instance, Norman, my relationship, it goes up and down. We've had transitions, but I really can't imagine being without him. Like he is, I was very lucky, weirdly lucky. Um, it was right around 2006. It was kind of a big year for me, I guess. He um, he had a temporary posting with his job to um, to overseas, and he was away for about three months. And I was ridiculously enthusiastic about him leaving because I was like so sick of his bullshit. Like, leave, leave already. Why? Why are you even here breathing all my air, my husband? Ah, right. I couldn't wait for him to be gone. And I, it's not an exaggeration within two weeks of him leaving, I started to get incredibly sick. My depression was so severe that I could barely function without him there. I would li- I, we had two, two small kids at that time, kids, they were just going to school, I guess. I would get up in the morning. I would make them breakfast and take them to school, which was right down the block. I would come home and I would go to sleep. I would wake up again to yoga, go to yoga class around the middle of the day. If I had yoga that day, I would come home and I would go back to sleep and I would wake up again in the afternoon, go get them, bring them home. And then I would make them dinner and play with them and do all that mom stuff that you got to do. And at 9 PM, I put them in bed. And by 9:30, I got in bed and turned out the lights. I was probably sleeping like 16 hours a day, like, like a cat. And I did that wow. every single day for about three straight months until he came home. And my depression symptoms got so severe that like I couldn't even really walk normally. That was a new one. I was walking really, really slowly. And it's a point where when he came home, we were leaving the house and he's like trotting down the steps to the car. And I'm like, eh, eh, like a like a robot. And he gets to the bottom of the yard and turns around and he says, baby, are you okay? And I'm like, no, not really. But he was getting paid triple to be there. So I always feel that I got to learn a good lesson at a really, like I got paid to go to school and learn something important, which is you may be sick of your husband's bullshit. This is going to happen from time to time, but that does not necessarily mean that you want him out of your life. You may not be better off without him. I was incredibly happy to have him back again. Right. So now when I get sick of his bullshit for whatever reason, I think, okay, well, this is one of those moments, but don't be rash. Don't be hasty. (laughs) 
yeah. yeah, maybe just take a day and like go do something fun by exactly. yourself or with somebody else and then come back. Well, exactly. well, and it sounded like you had a two, you had like a two week window before that kicked in. So you could just kick them out for two weeks and then bring them back. <laughs> you got, you've got a little window. Of <laughs> well, I will actually agree with you about that. One of the things that Norm and I have always done is to take time apart from each other ever since we were married, right? Because he would like to go to gaming conventions or whatever. And I don't know if you've ever been to a gaming convention, but unless you're really into gaming, it ain't that fun. <laughs> so we have not. I mean, I went, I went to a couple with him early on. It's like, I don't know, like, like going to a hacky sack convention or a Frisbee convention. Like there's really only one thing going on and it's either what you love or it's just not. <laughs> so I, I mean, I did, I did try it out early on to check it out. And then I was just like, mm, no, and he's like, you could come, you could bring the kids. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> so he goes to several conventions every year still. And I take vacations. I do stuff. Even before we opened up our marriage, I would still just, uh, go do stuff, yeah. stuff that he didn't want to do. Like, I don't know go to Omega Institute in upstate New York and take belly dancing in the five Chinese elements or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Omega, but that place is fun. So. No, we haven't. We'll have to check it out. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's like, it's summer camp for hippies and they have all these like classes that you can take, you know, like, I don't know, like literally the most ridiculous things you ever saw. Like like yoga and the five stages of grief or using the tarot cards as writing prompts for your screenplay. Like really this is the most, you know, the, every year they have guys, the guy was it James Van Pra, the spirit medium comes so you can learn to contact the other world. Like literally it is, it is delightfully nutty. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it's not really Norm's thing. So usually when I go there, I don't take him with me. Right. Right. Well, so, so back a few years ago, you, you, you had this revelation and then you decided to start exploring non-monogamy and then it was perfect ever since from day one. <laughs> no, not really. Um, it was a pretty typical arc in that, you know, as a lady type person, I was able to get a quicker start than Norm. Um, and I did, you know, I went on Ashley Madison and dated a lot of very nice gentlemen who were full of reasons why it was very important that their wife not ever know. And, you know, for a while I was like, uh, this is weird, but I guess it's okay. It's not really my business. And then I was like, I couldn't be okay with it because I am a Buddhist and it is really bad karma. Like all I could think was... I know that I would be really upset if someone was going to do this to me and I would not find their glib rationalizations to be at all comforting. Right. Right. I would not, I would not, it would not be okay with me if I ran it, if Norm ever cheated on me, which is ridiculous because he would never do that. But if he cheated on me and I ever found out and I, you know, bump into this lady in a coffee shop or gentleman, cause I'm not hating. Right. And if they were going to say, well, you know, I'm not responsible for your marriage and, you know, if they're going to cheat, you know, it's not me, right? I'm not going to find that to be a good, that's bullshit, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, so then I was like, okay, I can't be that person. I'm not responsible for these gentlemen's bad behavior, but I can't be involved in that. Right. Well, and to, and to clarify, a Ashley Madison was a site uh, at around that time that was used primarily for people who were looking to 
not not necessarily explore non-monogamy, but to explicitly to cheat on their spouses. Oh, yes, it is. It's a website for cheaters. So it's not as if like I just bumped into a bunch of bad apples. Like that's what's in the barrel at Ashley Madison. And yeah. I wasn't like mad, like, oh, you guys are so bad. I just, I just decided I just couldn't be involved in it, you know? Yeah. So I, I have a couple of questions about that because this is the first time we've ever heard of anybody starting to explore non-monogamy by going down that avenue. And it's, first of all, it's fascinating. So I'm curious, like, what was the rationale behind going to Ashley Madison versus like somewhere where people are openly exploring this? Well, you're going to laugh, but if I recall correctly, it was like an article in Psychology Today or something stupid like that that was like, non-monogamy is something people are into. Check out Ashley Madison. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that sounds great. And I went over and I did it. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. Um, and there was not a lot of super better alternatives. I hadn't run across Meetup yet, and OKC was still pretty monogamous like it's okc has changed with the times and is more non-monogamy friendly at this point i believe but yeah in those days yeah so it was almost like you just but that's where i went yeah you didn't yeah. know after anything I got else. Off of Ash- yeah. yeah 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 after i got off of ashley madison i did i went over to okc right um and i was pretty successful on that that was all right i mean again like you know i mean i got a lot of dates but some of them were just wacky and yeah uh, but my, that's, my, par- my partner, Jay, I met the old fashioned way, which is he, we were introduced to each other at a social event and he, uh, he's like 10 years older than me and he's got a mustache, which made Norm laugh really hard because my dad used to have a mustache. <laughs> so Norm literally just poked fun at me relentlessly. He's like, you're dating your dad. That's so gross. <laughs> he's just like your dad. How can you do that? And I was so saintly, I, I didn't even make any of the obvious comebacks about how he's always dating his mom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but out in the world. There, I said it. Yes, I said it. Well, and an uncanny norm impression, by the way. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I know he sounds just like Scooby-Doo. So, um, yeah, and you know, and it was kind of a classic meat story, right? Like he had a, he had just had a sparkle in his eye. He had a sparkle in his eye. Yeah, and it, and it, if if you hit it off, then who cares? Right? We hit it yeah. off really well, and um, we had met at a karaoke event, and uh, then so there was going to be karaoke again the next month, and so I had gotten in touch with them and said, you know, would you escort me and my girl Kathy to karaoke because you know ladies should have an escort? And he was like, Why, well, yes, I will do that. With his mustache, right? <laughs> um, and that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. So we're gonna, yeah. we're looking at our fourth anniversary in like January or February, something like that. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, and so Norm Norm has dubbed your first year the year of grand mistakes. I was curious from your perspective how how did the year of grand mistakes go? First of all, <laughs> I always think it's adorable that he calls it a year. <laughs> <laughs> it was more like two or three or four. Yeah. At this point, we're going to have to call it the decade of grand mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we definitely had a lot of the same ideas that many poly newbies will have. And we tried a lot of the same things and it was kind of the same story arc, you know, like, you know, we had a lot of weird rules for a while about who was allowed to sleep in the bed or they had to sleep in the bed or I don't know what. And 
it all was just kind of, it was, it was pretty basic. And in a way that is very common for traditional monogamous people, we had extremely bad boundaries with each other, right? This is very normal for monogamous people. And in fact, I, you know, you can see it developing on social media that in fact, modern definitions of monogamy are becoming more and more about bad boundaries, right? Back in the day, I mean, I remember before we had cell phones, right? I remember before the internet, right? Mm -hmm. When I went to college, I had a word processor. Yep. Right? <laughs> right? So I've been here for this whole ride. Once upon a time, we actually had quite a bit of privacy from our spouses because of the way the technology worked, right? If I made a phone call, there's no record of that phone call because I was using a dial phone with a round dial. Right? If I type up a letter and I send it to my honey who I'm cheating with, you will not see it. Right? There's one copy and I mailed it and it's gone. But these new technologies, the phone and the laptop, right? Now there's a record of practically every form of communication I have. Well, and every and everywhere you've been. Yeah. Everywhere I've been, right? You want to really do a deep dive? Our Google overlords can tell you exactly where I've been all day, every day, right? Yeah. So if a spouse decides that they want to get dirty and really check out what their spouse is doing, there's a lot of data, right? If you use one of those social media apps like WhatsApp, okay, with WhatsApp, you can see all the time who's online and who's texting and if they're texting each other, right? I won't even use WhatsApp because it... um I'm under the impression that it's not a very secure app and I'm just trying to minimize my total lack of security. So anyway, about non, not monogamy and modern media. Now, I was kind of out of the loop on this for a while, but Norm and I went through some rough times the last couple of years and I began to search around town for advice on how to fix a relationship that needed a little bit of fixing. Um, so I joined... I, mean, I read a ton of books because I'm a nerd that way. And I joined a particular support group on Facebook. It's a private group. And that was where I discovered that these ladies were all invading their husband's privacy routinely, routinely. They were stalking. Like by re reading messages, reading it was, emails. Yeah, it was way beyond stalking their Facebook. I mean, these were people who they, uh, every email, every text message. It was so bad. It was like being married to the KGB. Now, I mean, the good news is one of the things we did in that support group was we all endeavored to wean ourselves of this bad habit. Um, but wow. Right. They would always like, it didn't even, it didn't even seem bad. Like, like they thought it was acceptable they, because it was their husband. Right. Their they thought it was acceptable. And this is really like, that's bad boundaries, right? And bad boundaries have become an epidemic problem. And it makes relationships bad when you have bad boundaries. Um, bad for you, you know? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so what have, what have you and Norm done to fix that? Well, I don't know what so Norm has done, but I know what I have done. See, because I have good boundaries and I'm not taking responsibility for him. But no, I mean, sometimes you'll see these like little 
you know, meme graphs go by on your Facebook feed that will be talk about like things that are in your boundaries and things that aren't right. And basically I just spent a lot of time trying to take that more seriously, right? Other people's thoughts, other people's emotions, other people's actions are actually not really my business. I might love them and it might feel like it's my business or I might wish it was my business, but in fact, it's not. And if I get involved in your business, I'm violating my own boundaries and yours too. Um, And the fact that you might be okay with it, that does not necessarily make it healthy. Yeah. Right? Here's a classic example of that behavior, which you see in so many marriages and usually not super happy ones either. Right? Um, One of the spouses, usually the man, but not always, um, is lazy around the house and doesn't do much. And the other spouse does everything, and then they will say something like, yeah, it's almost like I have three children, you know, Ethan and Jack and my husband. They will refer to their husband as if he was another child. Yeah. And that is the biggest boner killer that you can possibly imagine, right? At the point that you regard your husband as if he was another child, how could you possibly get excited for that guy? Right. <laughs> But now you have to think about it also from the husband's point of view, right? Now you have your wife basically treating you like a baby. This is great for you in some ways because you don't have to move your lazy ass and do anything, but it's also not very sexy because with a few exceptions, mostly people are not really into fucking their mom. (laughs) Yeah. Mom's not sexy. Mom's convenient. Mom does stuff for you. Mom does your laundry. Mom takes care of chores. But mom doesn't give you the zing. So at the point that she turns into mom and he turns into like a terrible teenage boy, like that's really bad for the relationship. But it's all because of bad boundaries, right? If she would, or he, okay, if the one spouse would refrain from doing things for the other spouse that basically they're perfectly capable of taking care of for themselves... Like, why am I going to make your doctor appointment for you? You're a grown person. You don't need me to do it for you. I'm not, you know, I'm not Alexa. I don't have this information programmed in my mind automatically. Right. Right. Well, and you have your own shit to worry about. Exactly. So this idea that one spouse is supposed to be running the other spouse's life is really, it's really damaging for relationships. And one thing that I love about Polly when it comes to this is, so that kind of behavior works great in a monogamous relationship because everyone is collaborating to keep this unhealthy structure supported. Mm -hmm. Everyone's getting something from it, a sense of security, a sense of control, a sense of ownership. But now let's imagine that you have two partners. How are you going to keep that up? I, I couldn't possibly run Norm's life and Jay's life. No, that is not, that's not even reality, right? That literally, no matter how superhuman I was going to imagine I was, I literally physically just can't. So at that point, it's a marvelous path to freedom. Like, oh, look, this is what it is like to be in a relationship where I cannot do all those things. And guess what? It's awesome. It's awesome. So it can be very educational, right? What is it like to be in a relationship with someone where you are not responsible for them? It's freeing. 
it's absolutely freeing. Right. And and just to clarify, too, that doesn't mean you you love them any less, right? I mean, you spent a good portion of the early part of this talking about how much you deeply care for Norm and how much you don't think you could live without him, right? You and physically it, got sick without yes, him. But, yeah, but that doesn't absolutely. mean you're responsible for making him, you know, function as a human. And and also to be fair to Norm, this is hypothetical. I'm we're not we're not saying that Norm is the lazy baby sitting on the couch and uh No, not at all. He's actually a really busy guy. He does a lot. Right. <laughs> and and also it's not saying that you guys the two of you would not do something for each other if asked, you know, like compromise and help out. That's, you know, part of being a loving person, you know, like, of course, if someone, if you, if he asked you to do something and it was reasonable, then you would do it. Right. Like that's part of being um, a partner, but well, there's, an extent, it, there's it an extent, there's an extent. It depends on what it is. Exactly. Right? That's the key. The classic example for me is how to work a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Now, I grew up in a house with two people who did not believe in microwaves. We didn't even get a television until I was 12 um, because my parents are the kind of people who say, I don't know what we need a microwave for. We already have a stove, darling. Like, I mean, they did get one eventually after I had already left home. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but I did not grow up with a microwave. And Norm had a microwave long before I did. His mother had a had a microwave in the kitchen in her apartment. And then there was a little tiny one that they had at this like summer place they used to go to. Like, so he grew up with a microwave. So that's the background. Fast forward. Now we're married. We're in a house. We have a microwave. Norm goes in the freezer, gets out like a burrito or whatever. I don't remember. Turns to me and says, Hey, how long should I microwave this for? I said, I don't know, like a minute, minute and a half. What does the instructions say? So we microwaves it and it's fine. And then we repeated that conversation every week for 25 years. <laughs> like, not only did he continue to ask me, a person that knows nothing about microwaves and doesn't even like them because they don't really do a good job with food, but he also was clearly not going to spare the bandwidth to remember that the answer is always, I don't know, a minute, a minute and a half. <laughs> like, literally, I'm not kidding. We had that exact conversation every week for like 20 years. And finally, as I was learning about better boundaries, I realized I don't actually have to answer that question. So he turns to me and he says, how long should I microwave this for? And I said, I don't know, dear. And he looked at me and said, really? I said, it's me, <laughs> you know. And then sure enough, he looked at the label, he figured it out and he microwaved it. And sometime within the last six months, I experienced a moment of such, it was tiny and yet it was glorious. My son comes in the kitchen. He gets something out of the micro, out of the freezer. He turns to Norm and me and he says, hey, how long should I microwave this for? And I just stood there because, you know, I'm not done answering that question. And Norm says, well, you know, like a minute, a minute and a half and then check it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> It took 25 years, but I got there. <laughs> but this is a classic example, right? It's a small example. It's a silly example, but that's what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. I am not a memory stick for storing stupid information that you don't want to be bothered with. Right. right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And this is not 
This is not just in our most intimate relationships. This is actually a super great thing for all our relationships. Oh, yeah. Right? Everyone that you work with, everyone in your family, everyone that you know, you don't have to accommodate that kind of bullshit. And you're happier. Look at the smile on my face. Like, I am real happy that I don't deal with that stuff no more. <laughs> it just, it leaves my mind free to deal with my stuff, which is actually my business that I'm supposed to be taking care of. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think also for people listening that are maybe hearing, oh, well, then we don't, we don't ever help our partners. And I, that's definitely not what you're saying, right? Like, we're, no, not at all. Right. And if, that was kind of if my Norman point. Yeah. Got, if Norman got sick. Right. And had to go to the hospital. I wouldn't be like, well, you're a grown man. Call Uber. Exactly. No, I would take him to the hospital. I would go there and sit with him and make sure that he got care from the doctors. Exactly. Right. It's yeah. It's the stuff that they're that your partner or anybody is is very capable of handling or learning on their own. Exactly. That, that you don't need to do for them. And and that's yeah, exactly. Thank right. you for understanding that. That it's <laughs> it's not about me, like not wanting to be involved in my partner's life. But I'm not your mom and it's not sexy to be mom. And you might think you want me to be your mom, but then it turns out you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Very so, true. Yeah. No, well, I'm all done with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so that, that kind of, you know, in a long way around was one of the questions we'd like to ask people are, what are some, what are some ways that you think that non-monogamy has has improved either your relationship or your life or, you know, any combination of the two. And it sounds like for you, that was a big one was learning to set the boundaries. Um, yes. 100%. I like to call it the polyamory spotlight effect that whatever your personal baggage is, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you can sweep it under the rug and your partner will collude with you to do that. They just get used to it. Like if someone is afraid of spiders, which is like a normal thing, uh -huh. but it's also a ridiculous thing, right? Someone's afraid of spiders. Their partner always has to kill the spider for them. Okay. But what if this person now dates someone who is also afraid of spiders at that point now, one of them, or maybe both of them is going to have to put their big person pants on and deal with it. Yep. Right. Because this other person is not going to cooperate with them to allow them to go on having this issue. At best, only one of them is going to get to go on having the issue. Yeah. Right? So let's say now perhaps you are a, a people pleaser. And when somebody says, do you want to have Italian or Mexican food tonight? And then you always just say, oh, whatever you want, dear. Right. Even though maybe you maybe you're such a people pleaser, you didn't even have an opinion, or who knows. But this is how your relationship has always been. The other person gets to do whatever they want because you just want them to be happy. But now you're dating someone else, and there you are in the room with I don't know Esteban and Giorgio, right? And Esteban says, "What do you want for dinner? Italian or German?" And Giorgio says, I'm really in the mood for Greek. And then they both turn and look at you. Now, what are you supposed to do, right? Your people-pleasing ways are not going to work because you can only please one of them at best. You will have to learn how to express your opinion and advocate for your own needs. You're going to have to say, honestly, we just had German last week. I'm really more in the mood for Japanese. I don't know, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's a really low grade example, but these kinds of things happen all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's powerful. And I mean, it's a great example because, yeah, like you said, that's a low grade example. But when that gets magnified up to, yeah, where are you going to sleep at night? Who's going to come over? When are they, what's the scheduling going to look like? If you can't yeah. figure it out on a, <laughs> if you can't figure it out on a restaurant level, how are you going to figure it out when it's something critical like yeah, scheduling and dates and yes, partners? And exactly. That kind of stuff? You need to learn to advocate for your own needs and in a non, non emotional, non dramatic kind of fashion, right? right? If every time you express your needs, you have to build up the momentum to do that by adding a lot of dramatic flouncing to the situation, that's exhausting for you. It's exhausting for everyone. Right. right. You need to just be able to say, I'm not really feeling it with the German food. I think the service is bad at that restaurant. I want to go get Japanese. Like, Yeah. And understanding that, that that is not the decision that has now been made. That's just your opinion. And now everybody has their, exactly. their exactly. variables in the equation. And then you can all come together and say, well, you know what? Maybe we are going to still go to German, but at least you've shared what you think about it, right? That doesn't mean by by you saying, yeah, I don't really want German, that that there's no way in hell you're going to German that night, right? Although there are restaurants I simply will not go to. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so. I've, I've learned that. There's there's places I just won't just won't go to. Like, yeah, nope, I you guys all, are on we, your own. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> right. right. We all have. Don't bring me right? leftovers. I don't like that place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think just the, the fact that it's not the end decision just because you voiced your opinion is is important, right? That that now, well, now, nice. now everybody can make decisions with all of the information rather than somebody just, they're just assuming that person's okay with everything when really it may not be. And, and 10 years later, it's built up to the point where they're like, I hate fucking German food and I don't ever want, and you're like, oh, well, you-, you <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And the yeah. other person is like- what the hell just happened here? Like I thought everything was cool. Why are you so mad? Yeah. Well, you were supposed to psychically know that I'm sick of German. No, your partner's (laughs) never going to psychically know. Right. Now, I mean, Jay makes fun of me because he says, you know, baby, you're not that subtle, right? You might think you're keeping your feelings to yourself, but honestly, everyone can tell when you're not really that happy, but you can't, You can't make them psychically guess your thoughts, right? What are you unhappy about? It's obvious you're unhappy about something, but if you're not going to tell me, I really can't like do much about that. It's unpopular opinion, I imagine. Truthfully, if my partner or loved one is doing any of that kind of, well, I'm fine, totally fine kind of a thing, I'm just going to let it sit there. You said you were fine, and that's the end of the conversation for me. Right. right. I'm not going to chase you around the stadium begging you to tell me your thoughts. Right. Like if you're not going to tell me, okay. Yeah. Maybe you will when you're you ready. You know where I yeah. am. Exactly. You can tell me when you're ready or never. That's okay. Cause you're a grown up and you're allowed to keep it to yourself if you want. Right. Right. That's yeah. I'll be over here reading a book or getting some stuff done or going on a date with some other person who's not driving me bananas. <laughs> But I'm not your therapist, and if you don't want to talk to me, uh, okay, sorry. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't think we ever circled back and asked this question, but what does like what does the dynamic look for you today? Um, I'm focusing these days 
on trying to be a good housemate. Maybe two years ago, nah, two and a half years ago, it's got to be, um, I took possession of the basement to like make it my apartment. And I did this because whenever Norm would have somebody over, I would have to like pack up my stuff and vacate the master bedroom in order to accommodate this, which, I mean, I was okay with that, but I was aggravated at having my stuff be discombobulated. Yeah. It's just a pain. Well, and exactly like, you know, have fun fucking my husband, but don't touch my damn pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? (laughs) What did you do to my toothbrush? I'll cut you. (laughs) Right. So at a certain point, I just wanted to have a space that was always going to be the way I wanted it to be and not have to feel so discombobulated all the time. And so I took this area of the basement that had been set up as like an entertainment area and turned that into my full-time residence. I have a little kitchen down there and everything. It's actually really nice. And now when it's my turn to be on a date with Norm, then I will go to the master bedroom and get my pillow out of the closet where I store it and put it on the bed. And then, you know, I can sleep there and everything's good. And I noticed, so we went through this long stage, right? Norm was dating different ladies and he began dating um, E and, you know, there was ups and downs. It became clear that Norm's girlfriends needed a little bit more room to breathe and that there was a little bit too much me all over everything. Mm-hmm. And I would essentially call this a sovereignty issue. And I would say that the sovereignty issue is one of the thorniest technical issues that will confront you on your journey into non-hierarchical polyamory. Because there are certain, one of the features of privilege is that you cannot give it away, right? We can't stop being white, Right. I can't stop being a woman. You can't stop being a man. All these states have privileges which adhere to them, and that is the nature of privilege. Right. And being a wife and part of the a part owner of this beautiful home, there is privilege that adheres to that. So shoving this privilege to the side a little bit to make some room for other people to try to feel at home yeah. is much more challenging than you'd think. Yeah. So we were kind of working on that. So I was like pulling back and pulling back and pulling back, not out of any need emotionally, but just physically, right? Like we right. have two closets here in the master bedroom, a huge walk-in closet and a kind of a small normal size closet. And of course, because of female privilege, that big closet was mine, right? Yeah. And it was full of my stuff. And then the little closet had norm stuff in it. And you know, this is a normal thing that you will see in relationships, But once I moved down to the basement, one of the things I did, eventually I gave up that big closet and I took the little one and he has all his stuff in there now and he has room in there for whatever ladies he might be dating or whatever, right? I wanted to give him more sovereignty over his space and to make room for other people to feel more at home. So for a long time, that was kind of what was going on was that we were were fooling around with sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things, right? I can stop. I can take the crown off my head and put it down, but somebody won't necessarily pick it up and put it on their head. 
So what's happening now is I noticed that when I went to Jay's place, he has housemates and I would make myself at home there. If it was like a mess in the kitchen, I would just clean it up. Not because I feel any urge to be nice to other people, but because I like to cook in a clean kitchen and I would just do it. And I don't, I don't feel resentful of the other people or have like a big emotional thing about it. I'm just like, oh, well, there's stuff in this thing. I'm going to just, just take care of it. And I thought, why am I so happy to do the dishes at his place? But if I come home and find someone's dishes in the sink at my place, now all of a sudden it's got to be a big emotional thing. Like what, what is that all about? Right? So what I'm working on now is to treat my home more like Jay's home, right? To be less like an owner and more like a housemate. And I couldn't really say why exactly that's working for me, but it's working great. I feel more comfortable. <laughs> I am more involved in my own home again. And I know that what's going to probably happen is then in the end, now there's going to be a little bit too much of me all over everything again. And we're going to start back at the beginning of that cycle and have to work through it again, hopefully with some different tricks. I don't know what we tried before kind of only worked a little, <laughs> um, but that's, that's what life's about trying new things and figuring it out. And you have to may have to repeat things. <laughs> yes, it is. And I also am a big believer in something that I call the life spiral. Yeah. Right. That as you go around, it's not a circle, it's a spiral that's either spiraling up or hopefully not spiraling down. So each event in your life is on the spiral. So as you pass through the spiral, it'll go one way for you, right? You are a rebellious teenager, your parents are angry at you, and you have no idea about them, and you're mad at them. Now the years pass, the years pass. Now here you are. It's a life spiral moment. Now you are a parent and you have a rebellious teenager and boy, they're annoying as hell. And you're mad at them. They're mad at you. They don't get it. And this is your life spiral moment. Do you remember that it's a life spiral moment? Do you look back and think, Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Of the people in the life spiral moment, only one of them has the tools to understand that it's a life spiral, right? The teenager doesn't know yet. So I do find in polyamory, it's full of life spiral moments, right? If you are home, lonely, crying in your pillow, your partner is out having fun and you're pissed at life and whatever, right? Well, you can rest assured the spiral is going to turn probably faster than you think. And before you know it, they will be at home alone, crying in your pillow. And you'll be like, I can't get very good reception, honey, because I'm at summer camp with my other partner, Right. And does this mean that you, should, like, on the one hand, you can be sympathetic to them, but you might be surprised, right? Just as they were not sympathetic to you, now you are not sympathetic to them. Um, I know that one lifestyle that was very striking for me was not actually polyamory related. When I was sick and I was really overweight, like I had every conceivable form of middle-aged lady illness. I'm lucky I didn't get diabetes. That's about the only one I missed there. And my parents were very supportive and I had no idea how hard they were gritting their teeth through it because they kept it to themselves. They're cool that way. And the years passed and now I have friends who are sick and I really have some issues with their total lack of a coherent self-treatment plan. And I want to like jump on it and like be their mom and like tell them what to do. Like you should check out the such and such diet or whatever. Right. And I'm like, Oh, 
this is what my parents had to go through. Watching someone you love be sick and stupid about it is incredibly difficult. Yeah, because you want to fix it. You can't. You want to fix it, but you can't. It's literally not your business. You can't fix it. Even if you could fix it, the other person probably won't let you because they've got their own plan, which makes sense to them, even if it looks stupid to you. Uh, And that's been hard for me. Obviously, it was hard enough that the universe decided to send it to me multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) So I could really do my homework like a good girl. Mm -hmm. So polyamory, because of the multiple adults involved, is fraught, fraught with these situations. Like you will have a, it's like a life spiral every month this week on life spiral moments. It's going to (laughs) come back again so quickly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And one thing I really quick wanted to just circle back on the privilege piece, um, because you mentioned like, you know, you are the, you can't give away privilege. Right. And I think in a very simple form, like, yes, you, you and Norm could dissolve your marriage. Right. And you could give up the wife role. But there's the thing you can't give up is your 25 or 30 year history, right? And so exactly. even if even if you are in a non-hierarchical dynamic, there's an inherent amount of history that nobody else is going to have with you, even if they are on some equal playing field in terms of their, you know, um, access, I guess, maybe, or their their ability to be in a relationship with him. They can't re- they can't replicate thirty years of history and raising kids and all of the things that you and him have gone through. So that's exactly. that's really the piece that that you have that no matter how hard you want it to be, you know, fair, it it never will be, right? No, I agree. And it's if it, I will almost prefer to adopt kind of an industrial model or a a, a non romantic model for thinking about it, right? Like. Um, if I want to become a doctor, even if I have my medical degree and I get hired, like I'm still not right. I'm like a baby surgeon. The experienced surgeon is a better surgeon than me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They just know more. Or like if I get hired, you know, to work at the state department, right. I'm not going to be hired as the secretary of state. I'm going to be hired as like the junior undersecretary to the junior, junior undersecretary. Right. Unless your campaign donation is large enough. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, don't go down that road. road. (laughs) Nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Um, or I mean, you know, metaphorically could, we could refer to it like, like weight or gravity, right. Or like a tree, right. I could plant a new tree in my yard and this tree is perfectly good tree, but the old tree that is already in my yard is always going to be bigger. Yeah. Right. And this is not because there's something wrong with the new tree. The old tree has already been there 15 years and it's a big tree. And I can't, like, I can't make that tree be smaller other than by damaging it very severely. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, How out are you in your communities? And I know, I know you're more out than some other people, but, and also with your children. I'm out with my children. Um, Jack still lives at home. So not only, I mean, not only am I out, but in fact, dealing with him is a feature of dating me because he, uh, he has a spicy personality and you kind of just have to, like, if you want to come around our place, he's going to be there. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it works as a pretty good filter. If someone's going to be not thoughtful, not compassionate, they're going to probably not deal with it well and 
They're probably gone with the wind. <laughs> I'm out with Jack. I'm out with my daughter. She, my daughter has a rather reserved personality and is not all that welcoming to humans in general. So usually she will not even speak to people unless they last more than a couple of years. So, and I'm okay with that. Right. I mean, that's, that's her boundaries, right? She doesn't have to like someone just because I like someone. And indeed, I feel certain that she may like some people that I don't like. So, all right, fine. I am completely out at work and I'm out to my family, my whole family. There are parts of Jay's life I'm not out in. And that's because that's really his decision, right? Jay is 10 years older than me and he is a church going guy and has strong relationships in his community. And these are all very serious monogamous people. And I know them and they're lovely and they know me. And what I said to him was that my boundary or the place I draw the line is I'm not going to lie. If someone asks me direct questions, I'm going to answer them. Um, but I'm not above obfuscating if I have to. And my primary goal in this is to respect his needs there. Right. I don't think it would be super loving of me to blow up these important relationships that he has had far longer than he's known me. That would be kind of destructive. It would be rude. Right. So I would be happier for everything to be out in the open because keeping anything to myself is really not my strong point. But I'm trying to just treat this as an opportunity for me to get better at keeping stuff to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as I say, in general, what I tell people is if you have a secret that you really need to be a secret, if your plan is to tell me it's not a good plan, like if, <laughs> you really, if you really need something to stay secret, I would really recommend that you not tell me. <laughs> um, At least you know that about yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I'm sorry. I realize this is not a really admirable characteristic, but this is reality. If you tell me something secret, it's probably not going to stay that secret, <laughs> but I did okay so far with Jay. And the interesting thing to me is that the people in his life don't ask me a lot of personal questions that would lead down that road. And I think it's because they are assuming that I'm divorced and that talking about my divorce would be painful for me. Well, that's a fair, that's their assumption, right? That's yeah, like, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up because... It's not your place. Like, it's not my place. Like, yeah. Was your family very accepting of everything or did it take them some time to understand? No, they were very accepting because they're, well, first of all, they're real characters in their own right. Uh, My father is a, is an old fashioned, like California hippie guy, not in his demeanor. Like he's not like a weed smoking deadhead, but just like he's a person who comes from California and that with everything that means like he's a liberal and he's, you know, grew up during this. He was, he was already a grown man during the sixties. He's just old enough that he never really made the jump to electric guitar music. (laughs) And my mother is from Thailand and she's from a really tiny town on the South coast of Thailand. And she's basically like, she's like the Thai equivalent of like a, like a redneck or like a Cajun, like she's real country. And the effect doesn't come through because it's a different country and it's like a different kind of country-ness. But I'm not even sure she had running water when she was a girl, okay? She's really country. 
So her attitude about social things in general is extremely practical because country people are practical and small town people are like, like it's just a thing. So she actually, she had two reactions. Her first reaction was the most classic upper class reaction you could possibly imagine, which is she said, well, you have fun, but when I die, my money's not going to anybody, but you and your kids. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say the obvious comeback, which is mom, when you're dead, I'm going to do whatever I want with your money. Right. <laughs> because I make a habit to not argue with my mom. <laughs> And then the other thing is she told me a ridiculous story one time from her own childhood, right? Now, Thai houses don't have as many rooms. It's more of an open plan kind of a thing. And she told a story. One day, her father brought a young woman to live in the house. He brought a girlfriend in. And he already had a wife, and she wasn't too happy about it, or actually, I don't even know, because mom didn't talk about it with her. But mom didn't like this young lady. And she turns to me and she says, I got rid of her. I was like, you were just a kid, mom. How'd you do that? She said, oh, every night I just went and slept in her bed myself. And first knew she was gone. <laughs> she went off with another man. I said, mom, you cock blocked your own dad? She said, yes, I did. <laughs> so... So my mom is extremely, she's just like really chill about stuff like that. She's like, yeah, people be doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, this is not really Karen. She only cares about where the money goes. At one point, yeah. oh, this is another, this is another classic mom story about, this was right after Norm's first like really serious girlfriend came to live with us. And um, I'm out walking the dog and we had gotten this dog and I was Called my mom on the phone. Hi, yeah, I'm walking the dog. Da, 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 da. And she says, let me ask you a question about this young lady who's living with you. I'm like, okay. She says, you know, do you all sleep together? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a big bed. We do sleep in there. And, you know, sometimes we sleep separate or whatever. I don't know. We're flexible. And she says, does she have sex with both of you? Like she's cutting right, cutting right into the meat of it. Like, What's really happening behind those closed doors? I said, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, she's really Norm's girl. I'm, you know, da-da-da-da, right? I'm, right? You're trying to like dance around the question a little bit. I'm trying to, like, not have the most gruesomely oversharing conversation with her, even though she's staring right into it, right? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, she's not really my girl. And mom says, well, what is she there for? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> I don't even remember how I got out of that. But like, she was so like, yeah, no, there's no other reason you would ever bring someone to live with you unless they were just going to be your sex toy. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, mom, who knew you were such a wild one? <laughs> and then you, they call I mean, you she, out on it. Right, right. And call me out on it, right? She's going to be 80 <laughs> next month. And I said, she is not not less salty at all. <laughs> um, but last, so last year, two years ago, Thanksgiving was hosted at our home here. And my mom and dad came, my sister, her husband, and their kids. And we also had my partner, Kay, and my partner, Jay, and Norm's partner, E, and her daughter, 
they all attended. And that was pretty exciting. Like we all had a good time. And, and it was kind of nice because, you know, you always want to get your family's opinion about your honey. Oh, yeah. Even if you, right, even if you don't agree or whatever, like you want to hear it. And they were funny because they played it really close to the chest. And then like a year later, all of a sudden they were all ready to tell me their opinion. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, fine. But yeah, my parents have been really supportive and I can like, like if I'm having a problem or something, like I can ask them about it, get their opinion and they will, they will, you know, give me their thoughts. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Well, we've, we've covered a lot of ground in the last hour or so. Is there any, any final thoughts you want to share with us before we let you, you know, we want to be respectful of your time and, and let you enjoy the rest of your day. And we've got it's actually sunny here. I don't want to brag, but it's beautiful. And so we're <laughs> so we wanted to give you a chance so to, to kind of any final thoughts that you have, any parting words of wisdom. You've shared a, a shit ton of that. We appreciate it. And part, of, part of my language, but <laughs> can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. No, not really. Not really. I mean, it's just I really love this lifestyle and I've grown so much and had so many wonderful experiences. I'm really, yeah. I'm really happy to be polyamorous. Awesome. Well, that's a great way to leave it. I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. To hear. I mean, and right. And that you've come through some really crazy and sometimes trying and difficult times. And if, yes. if well, that's, that's life, right. That, yes, and, it but is. Your key takeaway is yeah. Yeah, that you're still super happy to be doing it and that you're loving it. So yeah. We yeah, no, that's that. amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time to share with us and to, yeah, just share with our listeners. So uh, we really appreciate reaching out, you reaching out and doing so. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, enjoy your day and we will, uh, I'm sure this won't be the last we hear of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. And we're back again. Take three. <laughs> Take three. Someone keeps messing up. Not me. Okay. Wow. I know. Right under the bus. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for reaching out and coming on the show and sharing more of your story with uh, and your relationship with Norm. We really appreciated talking to you and hope the listeners got a lot out of it. Absolutely. Thank you. And next week we have Chris and Fred. We met them at one of our meet and greets back in October. So super awesome people and have a great story and actually a really cool a unique way that they started exploring this. So you're going to want to check that out in one week from today. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you in a week.